That's just one small snippet of what we're going to hear this coming week. It's going to be a powerful weekend here at Christ Church next week. Friday night, Saturday night. I want to encourage you. Make sure you come out for that. Make sure you bring some folks with you. Dr. Ed Glover is going to be here presenting the gospel message as well. It's going to be a wonderful time. Not only as we hear songs sung of praise, but to hear the message of Jesus Christ proclaimed. It's going to be powerful. I want to encourage you. Friday night, Saturday night, same event. Bring some folks out with you. Make sure you get here early so you can get a seat. So uh, we encourage you to be here. Let me pray for us. God, we do thank you for that. We thank you for the gift of music, for gifting those singers with the ability to sing your praises. And Father, we do give you all the praise that you did come like a winter snow. Come into the earth below. To be born a man, to die for us on the cross. We give you all the praise, all the glory. And for rising again three days later so that we can have a relationship with you. God, we are grateful. We give you the praise. We give you the glory. Father, we thank you. As we are in this series and time of thanksgiving, we have so much to be thankful for. Help us to be mindful of those things as we go about our days this week, what you've done for us, how much you have given to us. And be with us here as we look at your word. I pray that you speak to us this morning. I pray that the message you want us to hear will fall and impact us. And as we leave this place, that we'll be world changers. Speak through me. I pray that my lips are your lips. My heart is your heart. Thank you for this opportunity. I ask all this in the name of your son, Jesus. Well, it is uh, wonderful to be here. Happy Thanksgiving to each and every one of you. As uh, Pastor Barry already alluded to, it is wonderful to be here uh, as this kind of transitionary Sunday. But we are in this series, Better Way Giving. And uh, we are going to be turning our attention uh, over the next few weeks to our Advent series expect the unexpected. And we're going to be looking at that over the next number of weeks. And as Pastor Barry mentioned at the end of this service, we're going to be kind of ushering in Advent. But we're still on this week of better way giving, which might strike some people as kind of odd. You know, when churches would do a, you know, a stewardship series here, even at Christ Church, when we do our in-gathering, usually that's the end. We will build up to that. We do the in-gathering. And if you were here last week, what a wonderful, wonderful time of worship and celebration we had last week with our kids' choir here. You're going to hear them again a number of times throughout our Christmas season as well. So I'll be prepared for that. But it was a wonderful time of celebration, our in-gathering, where we all come together as a family and present our gifts on the Lord's table. How powerful is that? And oftentimes in the years past, you would kind of stop that series and say, okay, now we're going to focus our attention on something else. John and I discussed this this year, you know, there's something more to it. Not more to give, but a lot of times we, we give and we just kind of change direction. And this series, this passage is powerful because it takes it one step further. You know, we've been talking about a lot of different characteristics of giving. Over the past number of weeks, a motivated giver, a joyful giver, a reliable giver, an extravagant giver. Last week we talked about a selfless giver. What's wonderful is that the Bible is full of teachings, parables, narratives of how we are to utilize what God has given to us. But not only are we to give, 
A lot of people give and walk away and think that's the end of it. I've done my duty. We had in gathering and now I can leave. Let's focus our attention on Advent. Our encouragement is there's one more characteristic. After we give, there's a characteristic of the expectant giver. The expectant giver. What do we expect now that we give? What do we expect? You know, there's a lot of things that we expect in life. Uh, many of us uh, had think. Obviously, we celebrated Thanksgiving this week, and we expected uh, to have certain things happen uh, in and around that time. We expected to have turkey. Uh, I know my wife and I had the wonderful opportunity to go and celebrate it uh, with my family out uh, on the other side of Pennsylvania, on the border of New Jersey. There's a lot of things we can expect on this annual trip. Uh, Thanksgiving. I can expect that when I get in the car to travel on Thanksgiving weekend, that there will be a lot of traffic, and at some point I will want to rip out the steering wheel and just throw it out the window. I will expect that we will tell our children to use the bathroom many times over before we go, and ten minutes into the trip, they will say they need to use the restroom. I will expect my father and grandfather to fall asleep in their lazy boy chairs as soon as the Thanksgiving meal is over only to wake up again, eat dessert, and fall asleep therein after until it is time for bed. I expect that. I expect my mother to pawn things off on me from my childhood as keepsakes that she thinks that I would want to have. Like the paper mache ornament from third grade. I do not want that, mother. You can throw that away. I expect they'll tell me stories about people that I don't know, about Stories that I really don't care about or really know what's going on. I expect that to happen. I expect that at the strike of midnight on Thanksgiving, my family will encourage me to set up all the Christmas tree lights, lights outside, Christmas tree inside, and really start celebrating Advent. There's a lot of things I can expect on Thanksgiving as we celebrate those things. It's interesting as we expect those from our Thanksgiving holidays. We don't really expect anything when we give. We have major expectations about certain things in life, but not often about giving. And what's interesting is that the Bible is very clear that we should expect certain things when we give. We should expect certain things when we give. So that's why we look at this characteristic. Now understand that this characteristic might be the last of the, of the six characteristics that we looked at, but it's definitely not the least important The Bible is very clear that this is not a one-way street when we give. That after in-gathering we give, or after we place our offering in the the offering plates as they go by, that that's it, that we've done our duty and walk away. It's not isolated. Isn't that great? To know that something happens and we should expect things to happen when we give. And the New Testament is very clear about that. Three things that the New Testament teaches that we should expect. The first thing that we should expect when we give is we should expect to be resupplied. We should expect to be resupplied. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn there to the passage that we just read. 1 Timothy 6, verse 17. It says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, not to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that wonderful knowing that when we give, we can expect to be resupplied? That is a wonderful, wonderful thing, church. 
to know that God's going to supply us, richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. We can expect to be resupplied. But there's some warnings there. There's some warnings right there in that passage. There are two warnings that Jesus gives when it comes to giving. If we understand what it means, we we can take advantage of those and move past them. The first warning is not to be arrogant, it says. It says, command those who are rich not to be arrogant. You know, we think about arrogancy, think about the opposite of arrogancy is what? It's humbleness. So we need to have an attitude of humbleness. We need to be humble knowing that God is in control and that it's he who's going to resupply us. Resupply us. You know, I was thinking this week about that passage about the attitude of humbleness. And it reminded me of the encounter of the rich young ruler in Matthew 19. It's not going to be up on your screens, but many of you will be familiar with this story. The rich young ruler who's very rich, very wealthy. And what does he do? He comes up to Jesus and he comes up and he says, what must I do to be good? What must I do to be good? In other words, what must I do to inherit eternal life is what he's asking. How much do I need to invest is what he's saying. And if you remember, Jesus said, obey the commandments. And the rich young ruler in Matthew 19 right, says back, well, I- I've done all these. And then in verse 21, Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions, give them to the poor. And you will have treasures in heaven. Then come and follow me, Jesus says in Matthew 19. So what happens, when the man heard this, it says in verse 22, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus said to his disciples, truly I tell you, it's hard for someone who's rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. And this famous verse, verse 24, again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for somebody who's rich to enter the, the kingdom of heaven. Why? Why is it easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than for a rich man to enter heaven? Because it's an attitude of humbleness. The man went away sad, not because he couldn't sell all his possessions, it's because he didn't want to. It had nothing to do with his money. It had everything to do with self-sufficiency. It was, I'm providing this money. I'm the one who earned this money. It's all on me. I can earn my way. It's an attitude of humbleness. That's why verse 17 your passage says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant. Not to be arrogant. Some of us have not had an attitude of humbleness. Some of us have never really put our faith and hope in Jesus Christ who died for us. And we are trying to earn our salvation. And I'll tell you this, there's no way we can ever earn our salvation. It's only through His death on the cross, His blood, that we are saved. That's it. Putting our faith and hope and trust in Him. But it's an attitude of humbleness. Many of us men who know and even know and love the Lord Jesus are, have trouble with this, don't we? Because we live in a world what, where we're taught, hey, we need to provide for your family. It's all on you. The pressure is on us to provide means to supply for our families. And while that's true, we need to have an attitude of humbleness. There's been many men who uh, come into my office to talk about the issues they've got going on in life. And oftentimes it's related to finances. And I think they're looking for me uh, to tell them how to, uh, to gain more money, find a better job. And I always tell them, Listen, I, I can't do that. 
But what I can tell you is you can walk out of here with a peace that passes all understanding, knowing God's in control. We humble ourselves before Him. We cast our cares on Him because He cares for us. We humble ourselves, it says, before Him. We can't cast our cares if we're not humble enough to know that He's going to take care of them. So we talk about being humble, understanding that God is in control. And as it says in verse 17, it's He who provides us with everything for our enjoyment. It's all Him. So we have to have an attitude of humbleness. We have to be careful not to be arrogant. The second warning that's given there in verse 17, as it talks about we can expect to be resupplied, is that a warning not to put our, our hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. Wealth is uncertain, isn't it? I know many of us would, can probably tell stories of uh, losing money, losing wealth. Could tell stories of people who have lost everything, big business owners. Uh, a few weeks back, I don't know why, I was reminded of uh, Lance Armstrong. If you remember Lance Armstrong, the, the bicyclist who run the, ran the, uh, won the Tour de France a number of times. And all these endorsements, all this great fame, all this great wealth. And then he was in a scandal where uh, he was caught uh, using performance-enhancing drugs. And he lost almost everything. And I remember he was in an interview... And I remember watching the interview, and someone asked him, well, did that hurt? I mean, were you upset? I thought, "What what a dumb question. Were you hurt? He said, yeah, I was hurt. When all those endorsements left, when they found out about the drugs, I lost all the endorsements. They all left, all within a matter of a day or two. He said it was a $75 million day, probably the worst day of my life. $75 million. Put her hope and wealth, which is so uncertain. Proverbs eleven twenty eight says, "Those who trust in the riches will fall, but the righteous will thrive like a green leaf." We need to be humble, knowing that God's going to resupply our needs when we give. Luke twelve. Remember this parable. He told him this parable. It, he it was Jesus. The ground of a certain man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I'll store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain left for many years. Take like easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. We need to put our hope and trust in God, church. He's the one who supplies, not us, not us. Let me ask you, if you knew that you had an unlimited wealth, that God was continually going to supply you, would you have a different attitude towards giving? I think we would. We've talked all throughout this series that you cannot outgive God. Why? Because He's the one that provides for us. 2 Corinthians 9 6. Remember, this who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap sparingly. It goes on to say in verse 8 And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that all things, at all times, having all you need, you will abound in every good work. Oh, that is such good news. Knowing that he can provide for us. As you've been studying this uh, passage, uh, this series in your small groups, hopefully you've been joining us with that. We're trying to connect what we do here on Sunday mornings more to our small groups. And one of the things that you're going to hear in your small groups as you discuss this series is the, what they call the law of resupply. 
The law of resupply. The idea that God continually supplies us, resupplies us after we give. After we give. You see, most people, when, they, when we talk about giving, it's not that people sit and think, it's not that I do not want to give. It's they, they don't think that they can give out of fear. Because if I give, then I won't have enough. That I'll never have enough. I told a story a few weeks ago about Deb, uh, my wife, who had only $10 in her hand. She came into college years and put the money in the offering plate even though she had no gas in her car. She didn't fear because she knew God was going to resupply her. Illustration of a man, R.G. Latornu, maybe some of you know that name. He was a, a man who... Uh, developed some heavy moving machinery, earth moving machinery, you know, the big bulldozers, big dump trucks. He developed that company and it really grew into a multi-million dollar company. He understand, understood the law of resupply because towards the later part of his life, what he was doing is he was giving 90% of his income away and living only on 10%. 10%. Yet his wealth continued to grow. And someone once asked him, he said, uh, Mr. Latornu, how is it that you are giving 90% of all your income away and you continue to get richer? His answer in his classic, in relation to his equipment that he sold, he said, well, I, I shovel it out and God shovels it back, but God's got a bigger shovel. It's the law of resupply. We can never outgive God. He's our safety net. He resupplies us. Reminds me of the story, of the Old Testament story. You remember the widow of uh, Zarephath in 1 Kings 17? If you remember that story, Elijah goes to a widow. And this widow only has a little bit of oil and a little bit of flour left. And Elijah is looking for something to eat. And she says, I can barely feed myself and my son. In fact, this is our last meal. I'm going to make this, use this oil and flour and make a small little cake. And then we're going to eat that and then we're going to lay down and we're going to die. Because that's all we have. And Elijah says, no, I need something to eat. Give me the food. God will supply your needs. So she gives him the food and the oil never ran out. The flour never ran out. She took a step of faith. She was humble. She didn't trust what she had. She understood God was going to resupply. So we understand as we give, the expectant giver, that not only is that God, we're going to be resupplied, but we should expect to be provoked, provoking as well. We should expect to be provoking. Now, most of you, when you look at the word provoking, it has a negative connotation. I think of provoking as my daughter provoking my son uh, to the point of anger. Uh, my daughter's younger than my son. She provokes him so much that he'll retaliate. He'll get in trouble. She smiles. She loves it. And it's provoking. So we, tell, we say, Langdon, stop provoking your brother. That's what we think of when we think of provoking. We think of something negative. Uh, Ephesians 6.4 says, uh, Fathers, don't provoke your children to wrath. But understand, the New Testament also has positives for it too. The word provoking. They use it for stimulating or enticing. Hebrews 10.23-24 says, Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together as some in their habit of doing, but encouraging one another. All the more as you see the day approaching. You see, when we give, we need to, and, and we see the blessings that come. We can encourage others to give because of what God has done. It's the biggest motivator 
It's the biggest encourager. That's why throughout this entire series, whether I was preaching, Pastor Jamie was preaching, Pastor John was preaching, we're telling stories. Why? It's not to lift us up. Not to lift others up. But we use it as a way to encourage one another, spur one another on towards love and good deeds. We could say, look at what God does with the money that's giving. That's why we constantly talk about this church, this building, people coming, to, coming in this building, hearing the message of Jesus Christ. The money that was given, that's what that goes to. We say all that because it's encouraging. It provokes others. We need to be sharing those stories with others around us. When I talked uh, two weeks ago on the uh, ex- extravagant giver and told that story about Deb putting in that last $10 of her money and not having any money and then going to her father's house, her uh, parents' house uh, a few miles from here, and they gave her some money. She came back to youth group and she got even more money, which she, was, she didn't realize was coming. I got an email the next day from a gentleman in our church. And the email was a heartfelt email. It was a very long email. Basically said that this person never would ever give because out of fear. He didn't have much. He had very little to live on. And he, would ne- he refused to give to anybody because he was trying to hold on to that. And after he heard that story of what my wife did, he was motivated to action. Now, he says in his email, all I want to do over the past few weeks is give, give, give. All I want to do is be able to bring in money so I can give it away. Jared, thank you, thank you, thank you. Tell your wife, thank you. Man, those are the stories. Those are what provoke us. That's why Hebrews is powerful. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Encouraging one another. That's why we share stories. It's not to build us up, but to talk about what God is doing. That's the difference. For doing it out of selfish motive, selfish ambition, yeah, that's, that's an incorrect way of, of sharing stories. But if we're talking about it so we can encourage one another on. I've been so blessed by this series, I really have. I don't know about you, but hearing how to be a better giver has been inspiring for me. So not only can we expect to be resupplied, not only can we expect to be provoking, but thirdly, we can expect to be rewarded. We can expect to be rewarded. It's one of the most overlooked things in Scripture. Verse 18 of your passage there, if you look at it, it says, Command them to do good, to, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Isn't that wonderful, church? That we can store up for ourselves treasures in heaven. And we're not just giving it away, that we're storing it up for ourselves treasures in heaven. Look at that. It says, store for yourselves treasures. Matthew six nineteen. Do not store for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break into steel. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also, it says in Matthew 6. We're storing up for ourselves treasures in heaven, church. Isn't that wonderful? Not only is it we're storing up treasures in heaven, it's for ourselves. It doesn't say for others. It doesn't say for God. It says for ourselves. What we give will be rewarded. That's powerful. That's powerful. There are eternal rewards in heaven. 
Proverbs 11.25 says this, A generous person will prosper, but whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. Treasures in heaven. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. It's powerful. It's powerful. That's what we can expect when we give. We can expect to be resupplied. We can expect to be provoking. We can expect to be rewarded. That's my prayer, church, for us. It's my prayer. As we go throughout this series, as we turn our attention to a new series next week, that we learn how to be a a better giver. As we close, there was one theologian who wrote about the giving that we ought to have. He says, Jesus' promise to us is comprehensive. Blessed are those that hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. This author continued to write on, we usually get what we hunger and thirst for. The problem is the treasures on earth don't satisfy. The earthly treasures promise it, but the treasures of heaven actually do it. They satisfy. Blessed are those then that hold their earthly possessions in open palms. Blessed are those that if everything they own were taken from them, would be at most inconvenienced. Because their true wealth is elsewhere. Blessed are those who are totally dependent and humbled by Jesus for their joy in life. Often our resistance to the Father is like a child clinging to our toys, never letting go, as if they assume that it's the only thing that will make them happy. God, for our good, tries to loosen our grip from something that will cause us to fall. But we don't want to let go. We say things like, I don't want to give up this life style for eternal joy. I don't want to trade in this life and, and things that I've worked for. I don't want to die. I don't want a new body. I want this one. I don't care that it's fading or decaying. I want this life, this body now. I want more things, more toys, more possessions, because having all these things will bring me more joy. And there we lie, submerged in the pits, desperately clutching to the very things that cause us grief. It's a wonder the Father doesn't give up on us. But He doesn't. He pursues us. He loves us. He desires to supply our needs. He desires to be our joy, to be our peace, to be what we desire. And He desires to have a relationship with us. He desires that so much that He sent His Son to die in our place. That is love. And that is what we should desire. Church, I hope that you were as moved by this series as I was is that we incorporate all six of these characteristics, a motivated giver, a joyful giver, a reliable giver, an extravagant giver, a selfless giver, an expectant giver. As we do those things, as we seek to have those characteristics that we'll someday hear from the owner of these things, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful a few things, but I will put you in charge of many things. Enter in the joy of your master. Church, may we learn these characteristics as we apply those to our life. And as we move to our next series, we remember that he came, born a man, he was incarnate, so he can be born and to die for us. That is what we focus on as we move to our next series, as we've entitled the next series, Expect the Unexpected. I hope you'll join us as we we go through that series. And this time now, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to have a time where we usher in that Advent season. 
We're going to light the candle, and again this week we're going to have light the night. It's going to be a wonderful time as we celebrate together the Advent season. So let's pray. God, we thank you for today. Father, thank you for what you teach us in your word. Fathers, this series has been so impactful for so many people, Father. Thank you for teaching us how to be a motivated giver, a reliable giver, a joyful giver, selfless giver, expectant giver. Father, we thank you for that. Father, impress upon us that message today as we leave this place. And Father, as we usher in Advent, I pray that our focus is on you and what you've done for us. We give you all the praise, all the glory. I ask that you be with us in the days ahead, in the month ahead especially. Thank you for this church. I ask all this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.